You are joining us for part number last of Stranger Things in Scripture, that we've been doing this for three weeks already. This is going to be week four as we wrap this up. We've been looking at some, some pretty strange things, and some of the strange things we've looked at, that there's probably some people in the room that you didn't even know some of those things were even in Scripture, that we looked at sun stands still, and we looked at a time where literally that there was a man of God that prayed, God, would you cause the sun to stand still, as in pause time, and then that God honored that prayer. Now, the reason God honored it, because he was trying to accomplish what was going to bring honor and glory to God, and God chose to honor that prayer, and we looked at that and said, hey, what could we learn about our prayer life, and how is it that we could begin to pray prayers that are so much bigger than what we could ever just do on our own, and that we'd really lean on and rely on God. We looked at how to get your edge back. We looked at a story in scripture where there was a prophet that was using an axe, and as he was using this axe to, to cut down timber to be able to build a building for God, the axe head broke off. It went into the water, and he couldn't find it, and he was desperate. It's a borrowed axe. So how can I give it back? And more than what he could afford. And then he turned to another prophet, this man of God, Elisha, and, and Elisha caused this axe head to float, and it floated in the water so he could reach out and grab it. And we looked at that and said, Hey, when it comes to our lives, that, that some of us have lost our spiritual edge, that, that, that we've lost that place of being close with God like what we've been in the past, that, that our closeness is in our rearview mirror. And so what can we do? How can we get our spiritual edge back? Last week, we talked about, look who's talking. And when we looked at there's only two times in Scripture, one of them is, is, is a time that most of us would know about. There's only two times in Scripture where an animal speaks. One of them is, is the serpent tempting Eve and Adam. And the other one was this animal that spoke to this prophet, Balaam. And this animal that spoke to him was his own animal that ends up speaking to him. And he's speaking to him because Balaam is trying to do something against what God wants. And, and, and the donkey is trying to keep Balaam from getting harmed and hurt. And so he ends up speaking into his life, and he ends up having this conversation with Balaam. Balaam was this prophet that he was for hire. And he was prophet for hire, and he liked to line his pockets by saying, hey, I'll speak to whatever God through whatever medium you need me to, and, and I can bless and I can curse. And, and so he had been hired to curse God's people. And what we looked at and saw in this account is we saw something with, with Balaam that, that really needs to be an eye-opener for us. And that is because here is Balaam, and Balaam was somebody that he got to actually see and hear God in a visible, audible way. He got to see the angel of God. He got to see the angel of God. He got to have the way he heard from the angel, got to have a conversation with the angel. And we got to see this in Scripture. And, and what we learned from this was we, we learned this. That we can hear from God, and we can still hesitate to honor Him. We might not hear audibly, but we can still hear, read in Scripture, and know what God wants. We can hear from God and still hesitate to honor Him. That we can see God. We can begin to realize and recognize that there is a God, a God who created, a God who loves. We can see God and still not submit to Him. That we can be people that we can, we can talk with God, where we're, we're praying and we're listening and God's speaking through Scripture and we're talking back and, and, and it's just done in this, this spiritual way, not an auditory way, but, but as we're having this, we, we can be people that we can talk with God and not be transformed by Him. 
And that's the big warning for us. Because God is speaking. That God is showing himself. God is talking with us. And, and with that, that we should honor him, we should submit to him, and, and we certainly should be transformed by him. Two months from today, October 11th, our women are going to be on a retreat. And, and that retreat is called Ignite. And, and they've been advertising that and promoting that. And, and there's over 80 ladies that are already signed up for this, all ages and stages of, of adult women that are going to be going to this. There are only three rooms left if you are interested in going on this. And, and I would encourage you ladies to go because this is going to be a place that is going to be very easy for you to be able to hear from God, for you to be able to see God, for you to be able to talk with God. And that, that when you go, that you would go and you wouldn't just stop with that being the reality, but that you would actually be transformed into more of who God wants you to be. And so there's still a, just a limited opportunity for you to get in on that, and I certainly would encourage you to do so. Well, today we're going to talk about Servant King. And this one was kind of a, a difficult title for me, trying to figure out what, what's the best way to title this. And so this is just kind of where, where our creative teams, we were looking at, we just kind of landed on this. And, and we're going to call this Servant King. And we're going to be looking at three different places in Scripture today. They're all going to be in the New Testament. They're all going to be in the Gospels. We're going to be in Matthew. We're going to be in John. We're going to be in Luke is where we're going to be. So we're going to start in Matthew chapter 20, starting in verse 25. So Jesus is saying, you know that the rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them. Gentiles is anybody who's not a Jew, so probably most, if not all of us in this room are Gentiles, okay? We don't use that language anymore, but, but saying that the rulers, they do what? They, they lord it over, they, they exercise their authority, and their high officials exercise authority over them. Not so with you. Instead, whoever wants to become great among you must be your servant. And whoever wants to be first must be your slaves. There's got to be the serving side. Verse 28, just as the Son of Man, and that's Jesus' expression of himself, just as the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. Jesus continually taught the importance of servanthood of what it means to, to love others by, by serving others, by caring for others, by, by using your time, your effort, and your energy, and doing things for others. He, he was even went on record as saying that the first will be last and the last will be first, right? That, that he went on record that way. And, you know, and, and what, what all does that mean? Does that mean like uh, if I'm running late, I'm early? Uh, no, don't try that on your boss. It probably won't work, right? So, but, but, he, but he's saying this. And he's saying, listen, quit fighting for a position for what you're going to get and instead start fighting for a position for what you're going to give. What are you going to do and how are you going to benefit other people's lives? You see, Jesus, he's the servant king. He's not the king that came and said, hey, you, give me, give me, give me. You need to do for me. Hey, where's mine? Where's mine? He, he, he was a servant king. He was, he was here and he says, hey, I'm, I'm here to do this for you and I want to do this for you and, and I'm here. And he just kept serving people. It's, it's what he did with his life and with his ministry is, is serving others. And today we're going, to, we're going to observe the Last Supper, Communion, Lord's Supper. It's, it's going to be the, the last thing that I'm going to leave you with when it comes to stranger things 
in Scripture. Because see, there's, there's some strangeness to this. And it's strange when you look at all the events that, that are leading up to this and, and what's going on. And it's just strange to see what this is and what it is about. We're going to be in John chapter 13, but I just want to talk a little bit about chapter 12 before we get to 13. Because chapter 13 deals with the day before Jesus gives his life. And chapter 12 is just days before this. It's all in the same week. And in the same week, there is a woman who comes... Her name is Mary. It's not Jesus' mother. She comes and she anoints Jesus' feet with perfume. That we get a few of the details about this perfume that, that there were 12 ounces. And, and with this 12 ounces, as she just begins to lavish this on Jesus and worship him this way by anointing his feet with this expensive perfume. I mean, it, it was expensive. I, I want you to think about the most expensive perfume you've ever purchased. Whether you bought it for yourself, whether you bought it for somebody else. It pales in comparison to how expensive this was. Don't, don't just think of the most expensive perfume that you've ever purchased. Think about the most expensive perfume you've ever seen. Maybe, like me, you were on one of those cruises and, and they've got this big old bottle of perfume, you know. It's not just this little... And just think about the most expensive perfume you've ever even seen. This is more expensive than that. The price of this perfume, we're told in Scripture, was an annual salary. One year's wages is how much this perfume cost. That in one moment she spilled it out, put it on his feet, and worshipped him by giving him this. And Judas who's one of the 12 disciples. This is the one that would betray Jesus. Judas, when this takes place, he's like, oh, what, what, what are you doing? I mean, that, that's, really, that's really expensive. And, you know, we, we, could have, we could have sold that and given some of that money to the poor. And John, who's writing this years later, puts a little commentary in there. And the commentary that he puts in is he's remembering these events and he's remembering the character of Judas. He said, yeah, Judas said this because he would like to have sold it and pocketed some of the money for himself. But it's really what, what Jesus does that's the standout in all of this. Because, see, Judas said, yeah, you should have sold it, give it to the poor. And Jesus says this, and, and it might be a little out of character what you think Jesus would say. But he said, the poor will always be among you. but I won't always be here. And he was praising her for what she chose to do in worshiping her servant king. So we get to chapter 13. In chapter 13, the disciples, they'd already heard, hey, you need to go. There's this place. You're going to find it. Here's going to be the sign. You're going to know this because of this particular sign. And so this is the place you're going to go. It's an upper room. You're going to go prepare it because it's time for the Passover, this annual event that they do. The Israelites, they always celebrate. We'll get into a little bit more of that later. But it's time for the Passover. 
And so here's the way that you're going to know, and it's all going to be prepared, it's all going to be set. And so you just need to go there, go ahead of me, and then I'm going to join you. And so Jesus, he's working through all of this, and he knew, he knew that his hour had come, his time had come. He literally, he is hours away from giving his life. And he knew that this time was here upon him, that he was going to be leaving earth and returning to the Heavenly Father in heaven. He knew that. He knew how much he loved his disciples and all the ways that he shown them how much he loved them. But he wanted to show them in an even greater way how much he loves them. And so we're going to see something here of him expressing and showing his love, but also expressing who he is and what he has come to do. And it's in this it's so memorable what he does here and, and how he chooses to do it. We're also told at the very beginning of chapter 13 that, that Satan had already prompted Judas Iscariot to betray Jesus. And so this is the scene that there, there's food and there's wine and they're in the upper room. There, there's this table that is there. And we're going to pick this up in verse 4. It says, when he got up from the table, this is Jesus, when he got up from the table, he took off his robe, he wrapped a towel around his waist, and he poured water into a basin. And then he began to wash the disciples' feet, drying them with a towel that he had put around him. See, the plot is thickening. And as this plot is thickening, the, the smell of betrayal, it's in the air. And what happens here is that you have this shadow of death. It's right among them. And Jesus knows that his time is coming to an end right here. And the shadow of death, it's hanging over the hero of heroes. It's hanging over Christ. And yet he takes a few moments to deal with dirt. It, it, it just doesn't make sense. Of all things, he takes a few moments to deal with dirt and to wash these feet. See, Jesus had a, a different take on this dirt than, than other people and, and the way that we see it today. And, and I think that outside, outside of crucifixion, when we look at our Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, when we look in them, there is not a more significant act outside of the crucifixion where we see Jesus, the servant king, taking on such a humble position and loving the people more than this outside of crucifixion. Those two events. And so here is Jesus. He's, he's dealing with dirt, but he's dealing with it to show his incredible love. And everybody in the room knows that, listen, self-respecting people, once you've moved up the chain and you are no, now no longer at the bottom rung of socioeconomic level, you don't wash other people's feet. That's for them. And yet Jesus chooses to do this. Verse 6, when Jesus came to Simon Peter, Peter said to him, Lord, are you going to wash my feet? It was really this question that was really kind of stating, uh, yeah, you ain't touching these. <laughs> I mean, he's questioning, but it's his way of saying, can't touch this, right? I mean, that, that's him right there and when it comes to this. And Jesus replied, unless I wash you, you won't belong to me. 
I skipped, I skipped part of a verse. I'm sorry about that. Verse 7. Jesus replied, you don't understand now what I'm going to, what I am doing, but someday you will. And, and it took him a while to figure all this out, but, but he ends up figuring all this out. See, before every house, in this day, in this culture, before every house, there would be a container of water. And that when you would approach somebody's house and they would open the door, they wouldn't invite you in until your feet had been washed. They didn't want everything that was on you from where you had been walking coming into their abode. It's kind of like some of you guys that are like going, hey, take your shoes off. You know, you don't want, you don't want shoes coming in throughout your house. You know, you're kind of one of those clean freaks. I'm not one of those people. But I honor when you guys are there, and, and, and that's who you guys are. But it's this whole sense of, but see, in this culture, it was, hey, no, here's the water. And, and many times when you would come to the door, and, and you'd be, they would send somebody to you, a servant, that would wash your feet before they would invite you in. Because they didn't want everywhere where you had been coming into their home. So we look at this. And, and, and we see verse 8, no, Peter protested, you will never, ever wash my feet. Because Jesus said, hey, someday you'll no, 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 you, you're, you're the king of kings, you're my Lord, you're my, you are not going to wash my feet. And Jesus replied, unless I wash you, you won't belong to me. Now, let, let's just think for a moment how dirty feet were in this day and age. Because there's no asphalt. As they're traveling on the road, there, there's no asphalt. As they're, they're traveling on the side of the road, there, there, there's no concrete sidewalks. This is before socks and closed-toed shoes. But, but maybe the, the biggest standout for us to understand is, is this is before an underground sewer system. And so wherever you would walk, you just picked up wherever you've walked and now you have that from your knees down. It's just, it's just there. And the, 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 our feet, they, they pick up gross things. I mean, and, 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 and our feet, you know, we just think of them as these gross things, right? And so this is what's happening and, and Peter's going, you're never ever going to wash, you're not touching these. But Peter says, unless I wash you, you won't have any, any part with me. You see, Peter knows that our feet, that they're collectors of all things gross. They are. You know, you know some of the, you guys in this room, you guys have a real problem with feet, right? That, that, that when somebody's foot starts to get near you, you just like get, ugh, you know. And, and think about it. Some of it started just when you were a kid, right? And, and what happens when you're a kid and, and somebody, you've got a sibling that's even trying to put their feet, you know, Ma, you know, you start screaming it, right? Because they're putting their feet on, you're just disgusted by it. And some of you guys still have it. Some of you guys might even be in counseling still today. Because people have touched you with their feet because it is just gross. And, and I think about in our day and age, we look at, we get gum on the bottom of our shoe and we're like going, oh man, what a problem. They dealt with so much bigger problems with everything else that was getting all over their feet and their sandals in this day. And so because of all of this crud and junk that would build up, that they would wash 
feet before you would come into the home. That our feet, they're these nasty little things. It's like, God, why'd you give us feet? Why didn't you give us like just hoverability, right? I mean, because... (laughs) But, but he did. He gave us his feet, and, and, and they are. They're, they're, they're nasty. They, got, they get calluses on them, and, and they'll get cuts on them. They get incredible odor on them. I mean, our, our feet, they, they are these nasty things. And yet Jesus is going, hey, I want to wash your feet. Several years ago, Cheryl and Miri convinced me to go get a pedicure. So I, I had turned it down several times, but, but I finally agreed to go this time. I, and I don't know why I went to go. And, and I thought I was going to get a mani-pedi. And the reason I thought I was going to get a mani-pedi is because I thought if I'm a man and they're touching my feet, it's a mani-pedi, right? I mean, and I learned later, I know it's kind of embarrassing, but, but I learned later, no, 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 that's like when you get your hands done and your feet done. I'm like, okay, no, I don't want that. I just want a man-pedi then. Don't give me the mani-pedi, you know? And so I'm, I'm in there and I'm getting this, this pedicure. And it all starts out great, right? They sit you in this chair. I think it even vibrated. And then they got this warm water and your feet are just kind of soaking. Everything starts out great. And then somebody actually comes over. And, and, and then they have this like chisel. I don't know. I think they call it a brush. Did you know? They get this chisel and, and they just start working on your feet. And it's like, ow, oh, ow, stop. You know, it, it was not comfortable. It was not enjoyable. And so, men... If you've not done this, I'm trying to save you. <laughs> Just say no. So, so uh, there's a whole industry that's been dedicated to, to, to feet because, you know what, so many people are going, I don't even want to touch my own. I, I, I don't want to clean up my own. I, I, I'll pay somebody else to do it because we just don't even want to mess with our own feet. And why, why was Jesus cool with cleaning dirty feet? Well, why is it that he was willing to do this? And cleaning feet was the best way to symbolize what he was about to endure on the cross. It was the best way for him to symbolize this, to show them what I'm about to endure on the cross. It's not going to be about cleaning your feet, but what I'm about to do on the cross is to clean your soul. And it's dirty. It's filthy with sin. And it's been places that it never should have been. But I'm not afraid of it. And I am willing to clean it. Verse 9. Simon Peter exclaimed, Then wash my hands and my head as well, Lord, and not just my feet. He's going, you know what, I, I am pretty dirty, I am pretty, and, and if you say I don't have any part with you, then don't just do my, because I want to have as much to do with you as I possibly can. And Jesus replied, a, per- a person who's, had, who's bathed all over doesn't need to wash except for the feet to be entirely clean. And you disciples are clean, but not all of you. This is where Jesus is referring to Judas. And here's a disciple, he, he's, not, he's not clean. But, but the rest of you, you, you are clean. Verse 12, after washing their feet, he put on his robe again, he sat down and asked, do you understand what I was doing? You call me teacher and Lord, and you are right, because that's what I am. 
And since I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you ought to wash each other's feet. That you ought to serve each other in the way that you think that's reserved for the lowly. You need to serve each other. That Jesus, he's the king of kings, and he modeled servant leadership. I was at a conference this last week. And at this conference, there was one of the speakers, he was speaking, and he, and he was talking about Jesus, and he was talking about how he's the servant leader. And as he's talking about leadership, he was saying it's a shame that, that we have reached a point with leadership that, that we have to add this qualifier that says servant leadership for how some people lead. And he says it's a shame because really, true leadership is servant leadership. Somebody who is truly leading is serving the people that they are leading. And Jesus is the servant king. Verse 15, I have given you an example to follow. Do as I have done. Yes, I've equipped you and I've called you and you're going to go out and you're going to lead the world when I'm gone, but, but lead them by serving them. In, in Jesus' final hours, there's, there's five things we're just going to look at really quickly. In, in Jesus' final hours. That in Jesus' final hours, he serves his disciples. To me, this is just counterintuitive. That, that, that here's an individual that knows I've got hours left to live. And with these hours left to live, he chooses to serve. To where most of us would be going, hey, what have I missed out on? What is it I still want to try to accomplish? What does I still want to do? What is it I want to say to somebody? But he chooses to serve. In Jesus' final hours, he gets arrested while praying for courage. That he's praying for courage. That, that he's praying, he's asked his disciples to pray. He's asking them to pray for his strength and courage. He's praying, and while he's praying, he's even saying to Heavenly Father, Heavenly Father, if there's any way for this bitter cup of suffering, this I have to get on the, I'm going to be beaten, and then I'm going to be put on a cross and die that way. If there's any way for that to pass, if, that, if I don't have to, if there's another way, I'm open. <laughs> Let me know, I'm, I'm open. But he also says, but your will be done. I, I'm here to accomplish your, I'm here to do what, what I was sent to do. And he's just praying for courage. Some of us remember reading through and studying some of this, that there are these sweat drops of blood, and, and there's the scientific phenomena that, that happens with that, the distress just coming up. He's praying for courage. That in Jesus' final hours, he undergoes a mock trial. It, it's in the wee hours of the morning. And then they're putting him on trial because he has to be convicted in order to be crucified. But they've already got the date determined we want him being crucified on, and that's the next day. That's after the sun comes up. And so there is this mock trial just to be able to check the box and say, yes, he's had a trial, and he has been found guilty. In Jesus' final hours, he is crucified for claiming to be himself. See, see, the crime that they found him guilty of was claiming to be God. But they just looked at it as you're claiming to be something you're not. But in reality, 
we see that he is crucified because he claimed to be himself. In Jesus' final hours, he dies as the true lamb of God. See, Jesus is referred to in the scriptures as this lamb of God. And that, that people that, 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 that lived to understand the Old Testament, they, they knew the significance of what was shared when this was shared, this whole Lamb of God peace. Our ushers have baskets, and we've got our elements for our Lord's Supper that we're going to be participating in, the communion that we're going to do. And so I'm going to ask as those baskets pass, if you'll just pick up those elements. There's two different ones. There's going to be a juice cup that's got a lid on it. And then there's another little container inside that same basket that has a little cracker in it. And so if you just take that, we're going to all participate together later in a few moments. But just want to get this all into your hands right now. Listen, while Jesus is Lord, he doesn't lord himself over people. That he keeps getting down into their lives and he keeps serving people. That there's this reputation for, for lords that they're going. There's this reputation for lords and, and these reputation, thank you. These reputation for these lords is that what they do is as they take and say, hey, my position, I, I'm, I'm going to lord it over you and I'm going to demand things of you. But that's not what Jesus does. That Jesus... He doesn't rise above the, quote, common people. He chooses to hang out with them and to serve them. Our last passage is going to be in Luke, Luke chapter 22. And Luke is going to start telling the same story of what's happening in this upper room now that Jesus has already washed their feet. Verse 14. When the time came, Jesus and the apostles, they sat down together at the table. And Jesus said, I have been very eager to eat this Passover meal with you before my suffering begins. This is not the first Passover meal that he is having with his disciples. That this annual event that they always recognize, he's had this with them before. But he says, I've been very eager to have this Passover meal with you before my suffering begins. For I tell you now that I won't eat this meal again until its meaning is fulfilled in the kingdom of God. Until its meaning is fulfilled, this Passover. So, so what is this Passover that keeps being celebrated annually? There's a time that the Israelites were slaves in Egypt. They were slaves for 400 years. God was finally ready to set them free. They, they kept crying out to God. They repented of their sins. And God said, okay, I'll, I'll set you free. And so as God begins to set them free, Pharaoh, the, in charge of Egypt, he didn't want the people to go. It's free slave labor. And so he starts doing these different things that take place to prove using Moses to prove that this is God behind this and you need to let my people go. We call them the, the plagues, these things that took place. And, and when Pharaoh wouldn't budge, the, the last plague was this plague, and the, it was the plague of the angel of death. 
and that the angel of death was going to come and sweep through all of Egypt. And as the angel of death was going to sweep through all of Egypt, what it was going to do is it was going to take the life of every firstborn male. Every firstborn male child, every firstborn male uh, livestock, everything, firstborn male. And God said to the Israelites, I want you to take a lamb and, and I want you to sacrifice it. I, I want you to take the blood and you need to paint it over the doorpost of your door, your outside door. You need to take this lamb and you need to eat all of its meat, consume it all on this night. And if you'll do this, and when the angel of death comes and passes by, then anybody, any family, any household, any people inside, that they've put that blood over the doorpost and they've consumed and eaten all this meat of this lamb, then the angel of death is going to pass over you. And your family, your household won't be affected. But anybody else will. And it's exactly what had taken place. And the Egyptians, they all lost. But the Israelites didn't. And it was this that caused Pharaoh weeping, wailing, holding his child, his firstborn son. That he says, go. Leave. This is, and so they celebrate this every year. It's the Passover. And so Jesus says, I'm not going to do this again until its meaning is fulfilled. And it's strange. Stranger things in Scripture, it's strange that, that Jesus, that he left heaven and he came to a place where he wasn't recognized. He came to a place where he was rejected because he left a place where he was recognized and he was worshipped. I think it's strange that, that God, God set the redeeming price. What's the price in order for sin to be paid for so that we could be made right with him again? God sets the price, and the price is blood, lifeblood. And then God pays the price for us. He sets the price. It's a high price, and then he pays it for us. I think it's strange that that when God did this for us, that we still, when we look and see all that God's done for us, we still fail to live fully surrendered lives to Him. It's just strange when we understand all that He has done. Verse 17, this upper room, there He is. He took the cup of wine and He gave thanks to God for it. And then He said, Take this and share it among yourselves, for I will not drink wine again until the kingdom of God has come. So I want us to take this cup and open it up and that we would drink this in remembrance of what Jesus has done for us. Jesus, we certainly don't deserve what you have done that you willingly bled out for us, that you chose to do this. So thank you for that. And we remember the high price that you paid. Verse 19. He took some bread and he gave thanks to God for it. 
Then he broke it into pieces. And he gave it to the disciples saying, This is my body which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. We don't have a loaf of bread. We're not breaking and snapping and hearing the tearing of it. But those disciples did. And he's letting them know that this represents my body that is going to be broken for you. Because I love you. And I'm willing to do whatever it takes so that my creation, my prized creation of humanity, will have a right standing with my Heavenly Father. So take. Jesus, it's so hard. It's hard for us to to pause and to think about this high price that you paid. Because if we're honest, we can look and go, you paid much too high a price for me. That we we look and we go, we, we didn't deserve what you've done. But yet we are grateful because you loved us enough to redeem us, even allowing your body to be broken for us. The last thing we're going to look at that Jesus said, verse 20. After supper, he took another cup of wine and he said, this cup is the new covenant between God and his people. An agreement confirmed with my blood, which is poured out as a sacrifice for you. It's it's the new covenant. It's the new promise. It is the New Testament. Because see, there was this old covenant. There was this old promise. There was this old testament. This says, hey, you got to live by the law. You just got to live and you got to do and you got to measure up. But nobody was willing and capable of measuring up. So God sent Christ for us. And it is the new covenant. It's the new promise. And each of us, we get to have a right standing with God because of what Jesus has done for us. And it's strange that we were loved so much that God, the deity, would do all this for us. Creator, doing for creation what we don't deserve. Pray with me. Servant King, that's who you are. And and as Servant King, you you came and you, you washed. And you didn't just stop with just washing the feet of a few men. The Servant King, you went the distance to be able to wash the soul of mankind. So I pray that that those in this room, that that, that we've begun a relationship with you because of what you've done for us and we trust you and follow you. I pray that, that our hearts would be stirred and we would have so much gratitude for you. And God, for, for anybody in this room that just hasn't hasn't quite connected the dots and understanding just how much you love and what all you've done. 
I pray that just remembering today what you've done as we do this as a group, that that would stir their hearts and that you would lead them into taking their next step and stepping into a faith relationship with you. It's in your name. We are forever eternally grateful.